go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Northridge Church. We're honored uh, to have you here this morning. And you know what? Happy Valentine's Day. Gentlemen, I'm looking at you. I hope you prepared for this day. Oh, there's flowers or a meal or chocolates waiting for that special girl, your little girls or your wife, or your girlfriend, right? Because, you know, the good news is, good news, there's good news. Right? You still got time. It's 1126, so we'll drop your significant other off and you go get some flowers or chocolates or whatever she likes and you let her know how much you love her. Because here, I'm convinced this, like there's never a bad time to tell the people you love that you love them. Right? We roll our eyes at this holiday, but it's a great time just to remind the people that we do love. And I'm telling you, the ladies in our life need to know how much we love them. And my wife is traveling today, but baby, I know you're probably listening to this service. I am madly in love with you. I know it got awkward a little bit, but I am madly in love with my wife. So, um, and thankful for her. Yeah. And so, hey, Valentine's Day is a day of, of love, right? You see it in the stores. There's flowers and there's big old heart-shaped chocolates, right? Because it's, it's, it's all about love. And here's what I know about each and every one of us. We love stuff, right? Like, don't we love stuff? I mean, the stuff you love might be different than the stuff that I love, but we all love some semblance of stuff. And what's interesting about that is that doesn't just happen when we become adults, right? When we turn 18, somehow we just love to collect stuff. No, it's actually kind of ingrained in us from the time we were very little. In fact, my, my wife was shopping with our kids and she was going to a store to pick up some gifts for other people. And so anytime we go to the store with our children, we often try to coach them, especially when they're not getting anything. And so this time we, we, you know, we're like, hey, Joel, Malachi, Ruby Kate, like, hey, this isn't about you today. We're going to the store to, to buy some gifts for somebody else. And so there's no surprises. There's no treats. Like, this isn't about you. Are we good? Everybody okay? Yes, mommy and daddy. But you know, kids, like, it doesn't matter what store you're in. Somehow it's like they know where the toys are, no matter what store it is. Like, they are just zoomed in. And so Ashley's shopping. She's pushing the cart, and there's the, the, the toy aisle. And, you know, she lets the kids look. It's okay. It's good for them to see and not get. I think it's actually a good lesson. But one thing my kids have, have done over, or since Christmas is, like, every time we go to the toy aisle, they're like, hey, Daddy, Daddy, add this to my Christmas list. <laughs> like, that's a long time from now. But, okay, I think your mind will change. But... Before you know it, Ashley's shopping, and Ruby, Kate, and Malachi have these two stuffed animals in their hands. They're kind of just playing with them as Ashley shops, and she's getting stuff, and she's getting stuff, and then comes the, you know, the moment of reckoning, because she looks at Malachi, and she looks at Ruby, Kate, and she's like, hey, guys, we talked about this. We're not getting those things. And so Malachi, he's a sweet little boy. He's like, okay, mommy, here's, here's the toy back. And then she goes to Ruby, Kate, and if you all know Ruby, Kate, she's Got a little extra Italian seasonings in her DNA. <laughs> you know, a little extra red pepper flake right there. We call her our spicy meatball. And she's like, no, mama. This is mine, mama. No, no, mama. And Ashley's like, Ruby Kate, you're going to put that back. Or I'm going to put it back for you. And so Ashley, like, pries it out of her hand. And if you know Ruby Kate, she's got a, a level of pipes that God has blessed her with. <laughs> That when she screams, she screams. 
And it's a whole, you just ask kids ministry, right? You just stop by the three-year-old ring. They're like, oh, there's Ruby Kate. We hear you. In Jesus' name, we hear you. She just got some pipes. And so she starts screaming. And it's like that moment, like no parent ever wants to be in. You're in the middle of the store and your kid is just like throwing this huge fit, really loud. Everybody's looking at you, judging you, being like, what'd you do to her? And you're like, oh, you're about to see what I'm going to do to her. And Ashley's like, okay, let's just get out as fast as we can. Like, and so she's pushing the cart towards the exit. And Ruby Kate realizes, I'm losing this battle. Like, hey, I, I, I'm not going to get the toy. And they're headed towards the door. And Ruby Kate just screams out loud, mama, mama, I just love some stuff. <laughs> and you know what I love about kids? <laughs> They'll say what we all think. Right? They will say the things that we would never say out loud, but we would struggle with within. And isn't that true about all of us? Don't we love some stuff? We love collecting stuff. Isn't that what it means to be rich, right? That's what the culture says. Like, hey, being rich is the accumulation, the collection of stuff. But last week we started this series, Be Rich. And, and we're, we're, we're over culture's definition of being rich, and we're chasing after God's. And God's definition of being rich is being rich isn't about what you have, but it's about what you do with what you have. It's an understanding that every good and perfect gift that we have is from above and how we use what God has given us, how we leverage it and the actions we take with it actually is what make us, makes us rich. And we looked at 1 Timothy, right? Apostle Paul teaching a young pastor named Timothy. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. It comes and it goes. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And if you were here last week, I ended with a question that I told you I wanted to kind of linger. Linger all week long, convict you all week long, challenge you all week long. It would take up some mental space in your head. And I, my prayer this week is that that question kind of came back with you. And it was simple. If God's definition of being rich is not about what we accumulate, but what we do with what he's given us, I ask the question, are you rich? Are you really rich? And we're going to press into this question a little bit more. It's not going away. In fact, we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper today. And I'm going to start with uh, uh, one of the most scholarly theologians that I know. His name is Jim Carrey. <laughs> Here's what's interesting about a quote I'm about to share with you. Last week when I was preaching, there's a guy named Vinny on our online campus, and he actually shared this quote with those of the people online. And so, so you know, if you're watching online, <laughs> oh, I see you. I know what's going on right now. You just, you don't know it, but you never know what I'm going to use in the chat for my sermon. Thanks for the sermon prep, Vinny. Um, Jim Carrey, look what he says. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can realize that it's not the answer. Now, now remember, this is not some theologian. This is not some, you know, pastor teaching God's word. This is a celebrity, an actor who honestly probably has experienced all the pleasures and the luxuries of this world. And here's the conclusion he, he has come to. It's really not all that cracked up. It's, it's really not the answer, right? It's not what it truly means to be rich. And this is coming from culture. I, I love when culture catches up with what God has been teaching throughout history. Right? I love when they realize, well, you know what, maybe God's got something to say about this. This is actually accurate, right? 
And so let's dig in. Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 12. We're going to kind of plan ourselves here today. You can go to the Northridge app and you can take notes for your community group later. Luke chapter 12. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus is known as a rabbi or a teacher. And he would often go from town to town, village to village, and he would teach the audience that would gather. And that's what's happening here. And he's asked the question, verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, a, a unique question is asked, right? But we have to understand culturally, this is not like unnormal. This is actually very normative in the culture. See, Jesus, when he went to teach, he would teach in the town hours and hours. And part of that teaching is different than today. Part of that teaching was he would take questions from the audience and then he would teach on that question. That's what's happening here. And this man asks a strange question. He's probably with his brother in the audience. He's like, hey, Jesus, can you tell my brother to like divide the inheritance with me? And we know it's a little bit of a strange question based off of how Jesus responds. It says, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so Jesus is like, well, he's fully God, but like, who made me a judge? Even though I would be the best judge, like, who made me judge in your situation? But yet, even in that answer, Jesus being fully God, he's fully human and fully God, he can see into this man's heart. And I believe there's something that he notices about this man who's raising hand, wanting stuff, wanting his inheritance, and he sees something there that doesn't belong. It's, it's a word called greed. And Jesus says, hey, let me just warn you. You just need to watch out because greed is a scary thing. It comes in all shapes and forms. And you have to realize that life, your life, our lives, isn't about this consumption, this accumulation of stuff. Life is not about possessions. And ultimately what Jesus is trying to teach us is that greed is the enemy of being rich. You, you can't live a greedy lifestyle and a generous, generous lifestyle. It just doesn't work that way. Those things are polar opposites. And he says, greed will fight against your desire to follow God's definition of being rich. And, and what I love about Jesus' teaching, if you study, study it throughout the Gospels, what often would happen was when Jesus was teaching in villages, someone would ask him a question, and he would respond with like a thesis statement. It's what he does here. He talks about greed and life, and he gives this like tweetable thesis statement, but then he illustrates it for the audience to understand it better. He tells a story. They called them parables, and that's what he does here in this passage. He, he gives the thesis statement, and then he says, let me explain it to you. He says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And so he introduces this man in this story, and he's a farmer, and he is having a successful year. In fact, it's a year of an abundance of surplus. He looks at all the, the, the farming has produces and he's like, man, I have an abundance. I have so much abundance that my barns will not take it. Now, understand in this culture, Jesus uses this analogy, this illustration, because the major source of income for most people was agriculture. It was growing crops and, and selling them. So if you were to take this and put it into 2021, it's a business that is booming. 
A business that is launching more stores, gaining more employees, revenue is up, and it's being a year of success. That's what's happening. It was in our culture. And so this this man is like, what should I do? Well, I'll build bigger barns. And actually what he does is, is wise. Some of you are business owners, you're, you're business women or, or men, and, and this is probably what you would do as your business booms, you try to adjust to, to take in the surplus, the, the abundance that you have. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a wise biblical principle. In fact, look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and look what it says. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. So you lazy person, look at the ant for an example. He says, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And so we see from the ant that that gathering and planning ahead is actually a very wise thing. In Genesis, we see Joseph in seven years of abundance of plenty. What does he teach the Egyptians to do? To gather it, to seal it up because there would be seven years of famine to take care of themselves. And so what this guy does is actually very wise. But yet his action was good, but yet in the very next verse, God reveals his heart. Verse 19, it says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And so right here in this one verse, God reveals to us the greed in this man's heart. Because as he experiences abundance, the only person he could think about spending it on was himself. And here's what's scary about this verse is, honestly, if I'm, I'm really honest, isn't that what I long for? Isn't that what I'm dreaming of is like that, that my businesses will boom, that my income will boom so I can get to the place where I don't have to worry about finances anymore. And my whole goal is like, yeah, I can retire and I can take life easy. I can sit on the beach and enjoy the waves and the sunset. I can get in the mountains and just recline, take life easy and only think about me. Isn't that the American dream? Isn't that what we all want if we're really honest? Like what this guy is experiencing, they're like, man, that sounds amazing. And yet it's the very thing that reveals this guy's heart issue. And, and to get there, the reason why I think we live this way is we've, we've really bought two lies, two lies. And the first one, they both deal with surplus or abundance. The first one is that abundance equals value. Right? We've been told in culture over and over and over again, the more that you have, the more that you are. Right? The more that you accumulate, the more stuff you have ultimately determines your value in society. And what it's caused us to believe is if I don't have a lot, I can't be that value, valuable to society. And if I have a lot, I'm obviously more valuable than everybody else. Right, it's, it's what we see in celebrities all the time, right? They have a lot of talent, a lot of money, and so therefore we give them influence and power based off of what they have, not what they stand for. Because the more that you have, the more that you are. Think about the term net worth, right? We measure people's worth or value based off of the stuff that they have. So your net worth in society, what you are valued at, has nothing to do with what you stand for, what you believe, but everything about the stuff that you have. Because the more that you are, the more, the more that you have, the more that you are. 
I love this quote. It says this, the hearts of the poor and the rich alike are inclined to serve money. If a poor person thinks their worth is defined by possessions, they will be full of covetousness and in many cases, sin to acquire wealth. On the other hand, those who are materially rich can become puffed up because of what they have. Look at this. It says the Christian, the Christ follower, those who are following Jesus, who understand Jesus' words, one's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions, will think and live differently. Because what you have does not define your worth. The second lie that we believe really ties with surplus or abundance. It's abundance equals security. So it's not only the more that I have, the more that I am, but it's the more that I have, the more secure that I should feel. It gives us a level of invincibility. If we have a lot of things, a lot of money, we feel invincible. No one can touch me. Honestly, that's what this guy believes, right? He's got this abundance of crops. He's going to store it away. No one can bother him. He can take life easy. He can relax because no one can touch him. And here's what's interesting about these two things is their lies. Lies because here's what's interesting if you study society, what's true is the more that you have, the more that you worry, the more you constantly try to protect what you have and keep it to yourself. And guess what? Right after this parable, guess what Jesus talks about? Worry. Because guess what we worry about? What we have, keeping it. What do we worry about? Our finances, trying to provide for our families. And look what Jesus says in the same context of Luke chapter 12. He says, then he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food. Life is more than the body. Life is more than clothes. Why? Because life doesn't consist of abundance of possessions. Jesus, after he tells the story, he says, you don't have to worry because I'll provide for you and life is more than what you have. Being rich isn't about that. It's about how you leverage what you have. And so here's this guy in this story. He's experiencing abundance and out of that, he feels valuable. He feels secure. He feels invincible. And yet in one verse, everything changes, right? Because remember last week we, we learned how money is so unreliable. Guess what happens? Verse 20, it says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, now for a second, I I want us to just put ourselves, if if we can, imagine, put ourselves in this guy's shoes. Maybe you own a business or you go to work, and for some reason, it starts to boom, and your income grows and grows to the point that most of us dream of where we can kind of like retire, coast into the sunset, live the life that we've always wanted to live, right? Let's just pretend. And so you're there and you've made it and you're like, yes, I've waited for this day. And then all of a sudden God comes and visits you and it says, oh, by the way, today you're going to die. And for this man, this is what he's experiencing. And that would be shocking, right? To to hear you're going to die today, that's shocking enough news. But I actually don't think for this guy, that was the news that hit him the hardest. Like, it's hard enough to know you're going to die, but I think what Jesus said next really stung in this man's heart because Jesus said, who's going to get to enjoy what you've planned for yourself? Who's going to get to enjoy the abundance that all you could think about was living it up? And it's interesting that Jesus calls this man a fool. He says, you fool. Now, we got to be careful when we read the Bible that we don't put our definition of a word 
meaning the same word that, 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 that God would. Because when we think of a fool in our society, we think of unwise people, people who live erratically. Maybe the person on our way home who cuts us off on the highway, we're like, you fool. Not that I would ever say that, right? <laughs> Worst nightmare, just so you know, like, you know, doing that. And it's like, oh, you, you go to our church. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's never happened to me, though. I mean, uh, but he says, you fool. What is a fool? We have to understand what the Bible, when a, the Bible calls someone a fool, here's what it means. It means someone who makes choice after choice in their life, and they have no regard to what God has to say for the choices they're making. That is a fool. Jesus says you're a fool because everything that you've planned is all about you and it has nothing to do with me. Jesus says that's a fool. That's living in foolish ways. And yet it leads me to a question that I got to examine my life and you got to examine your life is are you living like a fool with what God has given you? Are you living with your time and your talents and your treasures where you don't have any regard or you don't really care what God says? You're just like, hey, this is mine and I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to do what I want because it's, it, it's mine, even though really God gave it to you. Are you living like a fool? And really, this is a litmus test of the greed that's inside of us. And here's what's crazy about Americans today. You know, ever since COVID hit, 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 63%. So 63% of all Americans in this time frame, they, they, they wait for that direct deposit. They wait for, for that check so they can pay their bills and take care of their needs. And, and, and I don't want to downplay some people don't make enough income that they have to live that way. But I would suggest a good majority of us live that way because of what God saw in this guy's heart, greed. Because we want more stuff. Because we live in a manner where we're like, hey, I just want to upgrade my car, or I want the next newest piece of technology, or I want the bigger house, or I want another pair of shoes. And ultimately, what has led us to a, a lacking rich biblical lifestyle is the thing that God warns us against at the very beginning of this parable. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And I think God knew we are all like my little girl, Ruby Kate. Where if we're honest, we love stuff. And that love for stuff often gets in the way of us living a rich mentality. That's why Jesus says you got to be careful. you got to put guardrails in your life against greed because it's going to be what comes natural to you. It's going to be easy for you to step into. And ultimately what Jesus is telling us is you can't be rich and be greedy at the same time. There's no neutral ground here. Some of us be like, oh, I'll just be self-focused and others-focused at the same time. It's not how it works. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. You are either a greedy person or you are a generous person. You are either a person who thinks about others or is self-focused. Because you can't be rich and be greedy at the same time. In fact, in the greater context of Luke chapter 12, look what Jesus reminds us of. He says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says, hey, what you treasure and what you value and what you love, your heart is going to chase after. And we get a glimpse in this guy's life of what he truly treasured. It was himself. 
And what's hard about this verse is if we follow the trail of our bank account, if we follow the trail of our time and our calendar, what ultimately it probably will say about me and about you is that, man, I love me. I love me maybe more than anything else in this world. Because isn't that where we spend our treasure? Isn't that where our heart's following, chasing after us? And how do we get to the place where we choose God's way of being rich rather than our own way, culture's way of being rich, and we have to learn the cure or the antidote to greed, which is just simply generosity. The antidote to greed is generosity. It's living in in a manner where you realize that, that my heart is either greedy or it's generous. They don't coexist together, and so you have to choose. And if you want to get over your greed, if you want to put guardrails up in your life that will protect you from all kinds of greed, you have to live in a generous way. And, you know, I asked you this question last week, and I'll ask you again. If, it truly, if God truly defines richness as not what you have, but how you leverage what he's given you, are you rich? And I don't want to leave that question hanging this week. I want to press in even farther because I think like our cars, we need that check engine light that pops up when something isn't correct. When God sees a little bit of greed welling up in us where we can correct and fix the problem. And I want to ask three diagnosis questions for our hearts today that will get us away from greed. Because you'll notice in the first two weeks of the series, this has all been about getting a proper understanding of who God is, what he defines richness, and next week will be practical steps. But we're really not talking about anything practical. We're getting a greater understanding of God's word and what it says. And so I think we need to look at our hearts. We have to examine and be convicted by that question. Am I truly rich? And how do you answer that question? Well, you ask yourself hard questions. You press in a little bit harder. And let me ask you three. The first one, what are you not willing to give up? Can can I be honest? I hate this question. (laughs) Even when I was writing, I was like, yeah, it's a stupid question. Because there are things in my life that honestly I don't want to surrender and I would bet you have them with God. Like you said to God, like, hey, God, I'm giving you all this, all this real estate, but don't you dare come after this. You stay away from this because this is mine. I'm holding tightly to this. And I think we all have those areas that we're just not really willing to give up, surrender to God yet. In fact, it reminds me of another parable, six chapters later, Luke chapter 18, where Jesus kind of has the same, a similar conversation with the guy who comes up in the middle of his teaching and says, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And, and they, they go back and forth answering questions back and forth. And then again, what happens is Jesus looks into his heart and he sees a problem. And in Luke chapter 18, he reveals the problem to this guy. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Let's rephrase that. You still worship one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And what Jesus is not saying here is that you can somehow earn your way to heaven by being generous. No, we should know that that the only way you get to heaven is nothing that you do. It's only by the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. You do nothing to get there but receive the free gift that God has given to you. So Jesus is not telling this guy, hey, you can buy your way into heaven. No, he's saying, you love something more than you love me. You are worshiping something more than you worship me. And until you surrender that fully, 
there's a problem. And listen, I'm, I'm going to press in here a little bit. I told you my spiritual gift is stepping on toes. And listen, I know money can be awkward at times when you talk about it in church, but I don't think it should be because it's a biblical thing. And I will never apologize for teaching the truth of God's word. And I just believe this today, and I'm preaching to the choir, so don't feel like I'm coming down on you. I'm coming down on me. I think we love and hold on to money too strongly. It's something that we worship maybe a little bit more than we worship God. And God might be asking you, what are you not willing to give up today? And maybe for you it's not money. Maybe it's something else. But what is that thing you're not willing to surrender to God? It reveals a little bit of the greed in your heart. Second question, are you willing to sin to get it? This kind of shifts gears because, you know, we all desire stuff. That's just kind of something that's in us. I told you that. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Like the desire for more is actually, I think, from the image of God that is in all of us. And that, that, that desire for more is supposed to do what the song we sang this morning. It's supposed to lead us to things of this world and realize this doesn't satisfy me. Some of you are there, like you're, you're getting there. You're, you're, you're more open to Jesus because you've tried the things of this world and you're like, man, I'm empty inside. And Jesus is like, yeah, that desire for more is to make you feel empty so it leads you to me who will satisfy you. The desire for more, experiencing some of the blessings of God is a good thing. I don't want you to feel bad today for taking a vacation, for upgrading your home. Like, whatever it is, buying a new car, you shouldn't feel bad about those things. As long as you're managing your money well, those are all good things. And some of them are blessings from God. That's okay. But when we choose to compromise our walk with God to get something is when we cross the line. It looks like this. Maybe, maybe some of you right now, you're in the middle of your job and you want a promotion. And you've convinced yourself, maybe the way you get that promotion is you, 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 you show your boss how valuable you are. And the way you do that is you maybe just fudge the numbers just a little bit. You lie, just a little white lie, right? To make you look better so your boss notices you. Because you want something, but you're willing to compromise your integrity, your walk with God for it. Or, you know, it happens in marriage. Right? Some of us in our marriages, we, we have conflict, and we'd just rather, you know, avoid it so we, we don't tell our spouse the full truth to keep peace in the house rather than walking through the conflict that will actually make our marriage stronger, and so we compromise to keep the peace in our home. Or some of us do it in our dating relationships, right? You're like, man, she is so good looking, or he is so good looking. And man, I, I, listen, I know they don't love Christ that much, but it's okay. I'll compromise what God says to get what I want. What are you chasing after in this world that you're willing to sin to get? Third question, what's the source of your security? And, and I'll be really vulnerable and transparent, I, man, this, this question hit me hard as I thought through it and prepped this message this week because if I am completely transparent, and I listen, I, I like to be transparent because I never want you to put me on a pedestal. I want you to understand that I could be, pardon me, hello, I could be listening to this message just like you guys, <laughs> honestly, because I, I, I struggle with the same things you struggle with. So I don't ever want you to think that somehow Drew, because he stands on this stage, has everything figured out. I don't, man. I need this as much as you do. 
And this question just wreaked havoc on me all week long because in my house, I'm the money manager. It's the role I've taken on in our house. And I watch the, the income come in and the income go. And I'm the type of personality that like, I have a barometer at my checking and savings account. And when the number is above that barometer, let me tell you, I feel really secure. I feel really good. But the moment that number drops below that barometer, I start to worry and I start to feel insecure. And listen, there's nothing wrong with managing your money well. But there's a problem when you feel secure in a number rather than your security being in Jehovah Jireh who provides for you and takes care of you. And I'll be honest, I fall into that trap all too often where I think my bank account can save me when the only thing that can rescue me is the God of the universe. He is where my security lies. He's gotta be that source. And I wonder what source is making you feel okay about your life that's different than God. And here's what I've realized about being rich, right? The biggest hurdle, the biggest stumbling block for us being rich, what often keeps us from living God's definition of richness is honestly just us. You keep you from being rich. I keep me from being rich. Why? Because of the same reason this guy had. We're greedy. We're self-focused. When we experience abundance, the first person I think about spending it on is me. I want to coast into the sunset. And I'm not sure that God wants, I know that's not what God wants for my life. To just think about me and what I want, to take it easy. You know, God wants a life of sacrifice, of generosity. And so when we were prepping this series, I thought, man, how do we make the scriptures come alive to you when it comes to being rich? One of my favorite verses in, in the entire Bible is Acts 20:35, and it says this, it's more blessed to give than receive. And I haven't fully got there yet, right? Because I love getting things. <laughs> I love it. Like when my wife gets me a gift, whew, I'm ready. Here we go. You know, we're all like that. But the Bible actually says you will experience more joy. It will be more blessed to you to give rather than to get. And man, that is hard to like fully get into. And I want you to experience that. Like in this, in this series, I want you to experience what God means and what God's definition of being rich really is. And I wanted it to come to you at no cost. So I went to our outreach team and I was like, hey, here's what I wanna do. And they paved a way to make it happen. And so here's what we're gonna do. I want everybody uh, right now to grab your device that gets you to the internet. So whether it's your cell phone or your iPad, grab it right now. You're watching online, you might be on it right now. We're gonna use it and we're gonna go to a website. You guessed it, iwant.info. Imagine that, right? It's a central hub for our church. It's right there, go to that website. And here's what we're gonna do. You'll see a banner on this website that says, get me a gift card or I want a gift card. I forget exactly what it says. And here's what we're gonna do is, we're gonna provide everybody in our church a gift card to be generous with. And so you will fill that out, you'll click that banner and you'll give us your name and your address. Those are important, make sure they're right because our outreach team is gonna send you a gift card. And you get to pick, one way we're gonna be generous as a church is COVID has hit a lot of local businesses really hard. And so we picked four local Rochester area businesses that you get to choose from that we can invest back into as a church just to say, hey, we love you, we're here for you. And 
through that gift card that we send to you, you get to use it to be generous to somebody else. And listen, it's not going to be mega millions. It's going to be a small gift card that you can leverage because it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And our whole goal, if you live out of town, there's a tab that says, I live out of town. We'll get you a local gift card. And the whole goal of this is for you to experience and to taste that it is better to give than receive. And here's what I believe about generosity. When you take that step, that small step of generosity, and you love and you serve somebody else, we think our generosity does a lot for other people. But I believe through our generosity, God does a lot in us. He works in our heart, and he removes the natural greed that comes in all of us. And here's one caveat. If you're here today and you're watching online or you're at one of our campuses and this season has been really hard on your family and you've lost income, I don't know what that looks like exactly for you, but if that's you, I want this gift card to be a gift to you. I want it to be a reminder to you that God does provide in weird and strange ways. I doubt you showed up to church or logged on thinking you would get a gift card, but maybe this inspires you to be reminded of who your God is, and it's a small token of our gift to you as the church. And so my prayer is that through these gift cards, you would understand, that you would taste that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so I want to pray for each and every one of those gift cards. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the generosity of our church. We couldn't do this without people's sacrifices, people's generosity. And God, I pray for every one of those gift cards that's going to be given away, that it would inspire people, that they would taste and see that your way is always better. It's hard, it's difficult, but being generous is amazing. And God, I pray for the people who are going to receive our generosity, that it would draw them to you, that they'd ask the question, why would you do that? Well, because of who Jesus is. And so use it, double it, multiply it, add to it in only ways that you can, God. And may you remind us that being rich has nothing to do with what I have. But it's about being thankful for what you've given me and leveraging it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.